Welcome to The Eco Enthusiast, a podcast where we explore the world of everyday people making a difference in the environmental movement. From busy parents to community leaders, we chat with a diverse group of individuals who are using their skills and passions to create positive eco change in their communities and beyond. So whether you're just starting your sustainability journey or you're a seasoned pro, we hope to inspire and empower you to take action and make a positive impact on our planet. So join us and let's start building a better future together. Today, we're embarking on a journey through time and creativity, deep into the heart of the Nordmarker Forest, just north of Oslo, where something truly extraordinary is happening. It's a story that intertwines literature, nature, and the passage of time, the future library. Imagine a lone tree in that very forest, bearing the sign that reads, Future Library. The wood from these 1,000 spruce saplings growing here since 2014 will be turned into paper in the year 2114 to print an anthology of 100 unpublished books. The twist? No one is allowed to read these books until that distant year arrives. This project was set in motion almost 10 years ago by Anne Bitehovind. She commissions and produces art in public spaces. Over the past 20 years, she has worked at the interface of art, culture and business, where she has gained a vast amount of experience in realizing complex and original projects, including development of public services, building a hospital, city planning, placemaking and passenger-oriented development for airports. I had a fantastic time speaking to Anne today about Future Library. I found it, I came across Future Library online and the whole concept got me very excited. Of course, I love trees, I love forests, but the thing that really captured me was this idea of waiting, this idea of creating something beautiful for the next generation, something special. So yeah, I got very excited. I contacted Anne and she was lovely enough to, to offer me some of her time and we got chatting. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with the incredible Anne Bithi Hovind. Hi Anne, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I just wanted to start with Future Library. What is it? Could you do your best to describe Future Library for, for the listeners today? The Future Library is a conceptual artwork by Katie Patterson, the artist. So she came up with the idea. I had to make it happen. And the idea is uh, it lasts for 100 years. You can imagine when she said that to me, because I'm thinking about risk management, you know, and if the board had asked me to do a risk assessment, they it, nothing would have happened. So that's a learning point in this project, actually, that don't do risk assessments when you do crazy things. <laughs> and so 100 years, uh, we have planted 1,000 trees. So it's about a forest. Uh, we have been given by the city of Oslo a room in the fifth floor um, uh, in the new public library, which has become this fantastic, diverse place. Uh, free for everyone. On the fifth floor, there's a wooden room, a silent room, uh, made out of the forest we cut uh, 10 years ago before we planted 1,000 new trees. And uh, with 100 boxes with a glass, lid glass in front. And 
every year we put manuscripts into that those drawers or those boxes and they will stay there until 2114. So every year we commission an author to write a new manuscript that will be kept unpublished and unread until 2114. Then we take all the manuscripts out, we make, we pulp paper and make paper out of the trees that are now growing and they will all be printed on this paper in 2114. And in addition to that, we have a more performative part, which means we have um, uh, the authors comes to Oslo when they have written their manuscript a year later, and they hand the manuscript over in the forest. So it's a forest walk, which has become a very important rit ritual and it take, it's a very simple ritual, but it's becoming, it's a very emotional uh, hour when we are handed over. And that's where the, the authors actually share the title. So they're allowed to share the title. That's all. Ah, they're allowed to share the title. And are you allowed to share like one or two of the titles with us? <laughs> Scribbler <laughs> Moon is Margaret Atwood. And who chooses the authors? So I've set up a trust and um, uh, I did that 10 years ago already because I knew that this will, I will be dead by the time this is finished. So I, we need to set up a trust that will, that we trust <laughs> to take care of this project until 2114. So we have a trust, uh, uh, the artist is in the trust, I'm in the trust, I'm sh sharing the trust, sharing the trust. So the trust, yeah, we have publishers, we have the director of the library, the artists and me in that, and the director of the Louisiana Art Museum. And so we are the trust and we do the selection of the author. Okay. Great. Every year. And is there any theme for this author or they just get inspired from that walk that they do through the forest? So they don't do the walk before, after they're written. So I don't know what they're imagining. Ah, so it's so, after they've written it. Oh, they yeah, do so the Okay. And then they hand it over sure. in the forest. So they they have to imagine eventually on not being here in beforehand. So I don't know uh, what they are writing about. Uh, I know that uh, Margaret Atwood uh, was, is often asked uh, what did you write, of course? And she was, I won't say anything. It's a big secret. Um, and of course, uh, people would think it's something dystopian. Maybe it's totally opposite. And then you have, uh, you know, the Norwegian author, Carlo Wiknesker. He's very known for writing very thick books, and very honest books on a personal note. And so people have been asking him, are you are you even more honest? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so we don't know what they're writing and they're free to write whatever they like, whatever length, in whatever language and ever, whatever format. So they're totally, they have the freedom to do whatever they want as long as it's only text. Yeah. And what have some of the authors said about their experience and why they wanted to participate in this? Uh, I think for I think when if you're an author and you get this invitation, 
you're either in or you're not, you know, it's a very personal decision. Either it speaks to you or it doesn't speak to you. And I think, um, for instance, Margaret Atwood, she was the first one. She, she said, well, uh, yes, after like, I don't know, two days or something. So we were like, wow, it works. It's going to happen now. We have the first author. And, uh, and she's, well, how she describes the work is that um, it's a very hopeful project. It's an act of optimism. And because what she says, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a insisting on a future amongst all the uncertainties we are surrounded with now. It's really uh, insisting there will be a future, there will be a Norway, there will be readers, there will be books. There will be people that will make sure this all will happen. Yeah. In twenty one fourteen. So it's an act of optimism. And that comes for many of the authors. And like Hong Kong said, it's a um, century long prayer. Yeah. So it's very touching ways of describing the work. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like that, like a prayer and hope, all of those words same fitting for it because I was thinking the other day like I, I'm a writer I love writing and with all of AI artificial intelligence coming in you can't help but feel like a bit concerned or or mm. I don't know some people are excited some people are concerned but it, it does make you question everything and why you're doing things and what's the meaning behind it and yeah I love the idea of the human, the you know, the pure human voice being kept for a hundred years for us to have a look at later mm. and saying that's important, there's something there, like it's not, you know, it's not artificial intelligence, it's just our soul. Mm. And I think you're pointing at something very important because a lot of journalists, of course, and other people are asking me, what is it about? Why does it resonate with people? We have so many people from all over the world and it resonates so what is it that we have in common no matter where we're from and i think this is something very important to understand it's a and i think of course it's nature it's grounded it's um, authentic it's nothing about being superior or whatever it's it's there is no hypocrisy in a way it's just your nature and then I also think it's the hope question, but it's also the trust. It's really these basic things about trusting, trusting the coming generations to take this on. But often I turn it uh, the other way around. They have to trust us caring for starting this kind of project. So there is something for them to fulfill. So I think this is this mutual intergenerational trust is at the core of the project too and rituals of course but also this our perception of time uh, because that's it's a matter of time it's a matter of understanding time and seeing ourselves in time and i i'm quite amazed one thing is deep time of course geological time and it's becoming more and more po popular or more and more People are becoming more and more aware of mindfulness is one thing, but timefulness is also something, you know? And so uh, deep time is one thing, but then also how I see myself in time. Who am I? What is my life? 
and and really stretching that perspective as a perception that time is 100 years back and 100 years forward. So it's the time of the people I can be accountable for. And if you start thinking like that, you change, you, you, you make different decisions. So I think we actually need to exercise as thinking outside our own time scale and be responsible, accountable for that yeah. and our actions, if you see what I mean. I yeah. Think, yeah. This yeah. is this is really what I think it's the problem. And this is where art can help, you know. It's not a, only a mental thing. It's really about emotional connection to to life and people and nature. Yes, yeah, for sure. Because that's the that's the question that keeps on coming up. And it's, I think that's going to be the as especially in terms of the environment situation. As things get more difficult, and as we have to kind of change our lifestyle, that question is going to come up a lot. I think of oh, but we'll just live in the moment. Like you know, just enjoy it while it's mm. here. And someone presented that to me the other day, and, and it's. It's an it's a it's a worldview like you can have that perspective and I was like, but there's a bigger <laughs> it's a bigger thing happening here. Like I understand <clears throat> what you're saying and I do I do agree that we do have to be in each moment, but we we have to like have this big picture that we just haven't had, and and also I think with technology with social media and that's kind of brought us into the just every second like it's like okay you can create something you have to create something more you have to create something more mm. and then see what people think of that and then see what people think it's this weird thing that's that's mm. happened and i i love this project that forces everything to slow down mm. um because <laughs> you know in the days when i get really kind of woo woo i say to my dad mm. i go imagine if the all of us just slowed down like mm. could we stop time <laughs> Mm. we were having these kind of crazy conversations and i know mm. that they're a bit silly but maybe <laughs> who knows or maybe they're not silly yeah. because that's exactly how i feel it's yeah like it, i was thinking that about the short-termism i um it's interesting how this work resonates with people some people immediately will say oh it's interesting nothing else but then other people get deeply involved and touched some rare occasions I've had people being provoked by the fact that they're not able to read the texts. I mean, th people could be disappointed in a way, but then silly, really, why? What's interesting about not getting it now? And I think this is, it's interesting. This is for me personally, this is how I feel. I, this way of thinking is the really threat to our generation, you know, the inter generational justice you know i because if you face the young people today you can't think like that you know we can't we can't let ourselves end up in a situation where we don't think there is hope so this is this is really something i'm <laughs> thinking a lot about you know the intergenerational justice and that needs long-termism that needs a broader perspective a, bro a larger we and um, both uh, as a, as humans, but also as time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me. Um, 
I think sometimes we just forget that we exist in a in a in a bigger story. And I even I remember saying to some people, I'm like, like all that stuff that we put on social media, like that might not be environmentally friendly, like that all your children are going to see that. Do you know what I mean? Like that's documented now. Whereas in the past it wasn't documented, so it's we're in an interesting we're in an interesting time, and I try and I try and tell people that I'm like remember sometimes I look back at Facebook memories from ten years ago and I go oh my goodness you know what I mean <laughs> like mm. I'm such a different but, person. Yeah, but uh, my attitude is that we did we do wrong things, but as long as we're willing to learn from you know to reflect and learn and say sorry. Yes, but I mean to to put this blind. You ca- you have to face what's happening. You know, you have to face the young people that are uh, confronting you with what you're doing. And if but if if you're not willing to choose a different way from learning, then you're in, then you're in trouble. Yeah. So I think um, the, we owe the coming generations to be open and listening and be willing to change, even give up cars and houses and and travels and whatever we have to do that you know yeah yeah we have to do that and it's um you know I I've tried many different ways of communicating I'm always like what's the best way to get through to people I'm always questioning myself I'm like Mm -hmm. should which which is the best way to get through to people and I think sometimes if I'm being too soft I'm like is that just me wanting to just be a nice person like, is a nice person the best for this moment in history? Or should I be harder? Like, I don't know. But I think it's undeniable that I think well, after, like, you know, asking myself this so many times, I just think art has to be the way because it just gets to us on such a deep level. Um yeah, I heard someone talk about this the other day with art that we're at this point in history where we need to say things to people without saying them. And I think that's exactly a little bit what Future Library does it, yeah. because it, it has so many layers and open up so many things. And I, I totally agree with you. I think art has the ability to make the world felt without yeah. pointing at people. And also, I think I, I don't remember exactly the quote I'm usually sharing that Margaret Atwood has said, but she also says something like um, it connects, you know, it connects this logical, this, um, this, uh, and your physical and your mentally and your emotions. That's how art, that's the ability of art and, and also including narratives, you know. So I think the narrative of the future library, what I find is that a lot of people also find it's possible to do this kind of projects. Yeah. It's possible to start projects and believing in, in it, you know, and that will cross the next generation. So I think, yeah, that's why I said it's becoming a big responsibility. So what I've done on my own note now is that I'm every first Monday, I invite openly um, the people that are, are in Oslo for a forest walk to the forest. And uh, I did my second walk yesterday. And let's see how many people will sign up. But it's like, it's just like an option for people to come and walk and meet other people, breathe, share, or be silent and walk to the future library forest. So I need to do this kind of things to, um, to make sure I, 
I stay connected. I think it's it's very important for me personally to be the project in a way, to at least to behave the way the project is um, the core at the core of the project. If you understand what I mean, it, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and what has been the biggest challenge so far with this project for you? It was very challenging to make it happen. Of course, I mean, who would want to believe in a project like this? You know. So I don't know, it's hard to explain or to articulate how we make it happen, but it, it's, uh, and what are these skills? What are these negotiation? And I kept telling people, oh, well, I believe in this making ourselves irresistible strategy, which is an interesting strategy. <laughs> so, okay. And to avoid coming in a situation where the board would tell, ask me to do a risk assessments, you know, because explorative processes you can't do risk assessments in explorative, innovative processes because if you do do an ordinary risk assessment, you will really not make it happen, you know, because nobody would believe in it. It's about money. It's about um, why. Yeah, it's a lot of things. Yeah. So, so um, I think the hardest part has changed. I think everything was hard, the forest, the time, the room, the author, then, and now it's more, it's not hard, but I feel a very big responsibility on making the work happen the next 90 years. So what can I do now to ensure that? And it helps all the attention, all the guardians around the world caring for this forest caring for this room and yeah so yeah but I think that is the biggest challenge but it's really 90 years long challenge yeah but it's um it's a such an important challenge I think because it's just we've lost that whole connection with the older generation and the younger generation of, of passing stuff on and like saying this really is important <laughs> And, and then the younger generation taking that responsibility. We've lost that kind of handing of the baton over. So it's, it's wonderful to see that you're starting this. And, and if this works, maybe it can happen in other areas of life. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we have a political system yeah. where they think every four years, they're not thinking about, you know, years, you know, it could ripple out into other ways. So other areas of life, which I think is, is really, it's really exciting. And I love what you said about how making it irresistible, because I did this course called Think Like a Tree. And it's where you kind of learn resilience from nature and, you know, how it works and how you can, with your project or whatever you're trying to do. And that's one of the, that's one of the, the strengths of nature. It makes itself mm. beautiful, like irresistible. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Beauty is true. a big part. So, mm. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really wonderful. Is there any way like the everyday person can get involved in this project? Cause I thought I read on your website, I could have been wrong, but that you can like, you can pay to have a copy for your like, um, great, great grandchildren or something like that. Yeah. You can buy a certificate, uh, limited though. We don't have that many, but you can buy that certificate. Uh, but uh, but you're asking a very important question because when we started this project again, I don't think Kate and I could imagine it becoming so big in a way yeah. or having so much impact on people' lives around the world. 
So, uh, but now we are actually looking into how we could create involvement because it's not a, okay, you can come to Oslo, you can, the room and the forest is public accessible all the time. It's open all the time. Uh, and you can take part of the ceremony uh, every year, either physically or digitally, we are streaming it. So you can, you can gather with friends and you can watch the streaming and you could read the books and you can in, be involved on a local level in many ways. But of course, we're seeing this. Um, we're seeing this uh, need to connect, and a lot of people are expecting, wanting to be part of a larger kind of community. So we are looking. We started to look into now how can we make create a safe space for people to meet others in on the platform of Future Library, but we haven't sold it yet. So it's coming, but we have lots of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the great thing. thing. There's no rush, <laughs> no, which is no a, which rush. is a very lovely feeling and yeah. thought. You know, wonderful. Yeah, that's okay. a big learning point, actually. That we have lots of time, so we can we can take our time to to make it good, and also we have to learn how to take things as it comes. Yeah, and that's the other learning part, deep learning part of this project that we have to take things that life as it comes also because of COVID, you know, we have to change things like everyone else. And, but then Carlo Wiknowsko, the Norwegian author wrote to me and said, well, we have to take it as it comes, which is good. We can't solve everything. We also have to cope with things, you know, uncertainties. That's a, yeah, it's a really good reminder <laughs> because we we're not usually thinking that way. We're always like, no, we have to fix everything now, but yeah. it's like, no, just, Go with the flow, take every step, mm. you know, every challenge as it comes. Mm. Um, okay, so yes, we do have some questions that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast. Uh, one of them is, what has been your most profound moment in nature? Can I have two answers? Yeah, of course. <laughs> because they're so different. Growing up on the farm in nature. Wow. Wow. Um, I think the moment I remember the best, really, this is nature, is when I was 16 years old. I was uh, an exchange student in California, and we went on a trip to to Arizona. And we arrived at night, and we woke up in the morning on the edge of the Grand Canyon. I just couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't get my head around what this was. It was I'll never forget it. And that night on the sky, it was Northern light. And that hadn't happened for 40 years or something in Grand yeah. Canyon. It was crazy. So nature, but you know, I, I come from the deep forest and with, where there's lots of snow and I love to cross countries. I love to go for hours when it's very cold and cross country on cross country skis slowly it's I can't, I can't describe it but it makes it gives me peace and it gives me this to really feel nature being in it and to how my body works and how i take myself through the forest it's it's amazing wonderful wonderful very jealous um and another question we have is what is like in a world of lots of changes? What is one thing you hope never changes? 
Oh, I think I think there's so many people not talking about what they're afraid of losing. Um, so what do I don't want to change? You know, I come from the northern northern hemisphere, um, and we have very distinct seasons. So now um, it's fall, and everything is turning red and yellow. It's beautiful outside now. My garden is red and yellow. So really, to lose seasons, I think that. Yeah, that's something I really don't want to, that should disappear. I know it's um it's interesting with this whole environmental issue. I feel that, of course, there's many reasons, like we're fighting for the environment, like there's a lot at stake, but that stays in my mind as one of the biggest ones. I, I, I feel like I love that change mm. and it, it's so important. Yeah. Um. Uh, we have this exercise called or activity called grandma's advice where we imagine someone's a grandmother, but you are a grandmother. So if what, but imagine you're coming towards the end of your days, what advice would you pass on to your, your grandchildren? Uh, not only one, of course, I want them to take on future library and make it happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm jealous. What a wonderful that. thing to inherit. <laughs> Yeah, that's what that's a that's your job, you know. And I think I I, w I want to tell them, please keep your empathy muscle in shape. Please connect physically to nature and to animals, because that's how I think. And and because that's how I think. Actually, we need we need empathy. We need empathy to soil, to ocean, to creatures. But also what I'm worried about and what I really want them to be aware of is the, the empathy muscle because I think I'm afraid what will happen when people have to migrate from climate change. So uh, the survival of the fittest question, please, you know, the social sustainability part of poverty, of people having to migrate, refugees, climate refugees. This is, I think, is one of our biggest demand, demanding questions in the future. So I think that that must be. Yeah. Don't stop. Don't stop training your empathy muscle. Yeah. Yeah. I agree for sure. Okay. And. The last question is, what is one habit you think all eco-enthusiasts should pick up? I think, I think, um, you know, The Guardian wrote about the Future Library last summer. They wrote an editorial and it's, they said, hope in practice. Okay. Do good walk to the forest, create what you might think are utopias, but you, we need to do this act. We need to practice hope on a practical level every day. So, and that's, that will differ of course, from person to person. But for me personally, it's, I do good. I try to do good. I walk to the forest. I, I do these practical things for myself of course I do all the garbage and all that I sort it out and all that but you know but it's really about doing things practically physically creating beautiful things every day wonderful wonderful 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's um, yeah. Don't never underestimate those small your small actions. They're they're just so mm-hmm. big, you know. Um, they mm-hmm. do ripple out, and they do create who you are. You know, it's mm-hmm. about, but on a on a individual level, on a global level, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's really important. Well, thank you so much for your time, Anne. It was wonderful to to learn a little bit more about Future Library. I think it's a fantastic project and uh, I'm sure you'll find the right people to trust with this project. (laughs) I hope so too. It's always interesting to share thoughts about this around Future Library. But yeah, so thank you so much for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Eco Enthusiast. I loved chatting with Anne. I, the Future Library is now on my bucket list. I want to go on a big slow travel trip to Oslo to, um, to be there one year when they do the handing over of the, of the manuscript. I think it would be a really beautiful experience. Um, and I just would like to be a part of, uh, of a project that's so, I guess, revolutionary. There's, there's not many, there are not many projects like this in the world. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. It got me thinking a lot about different ways that we can use art to communicate this important message of, sure, live in the moment, enjoy your life, but we are a part of a bigger story. So yeah, I, I got a lot from this talk. I hope you enjoyed it. I since found out that. Anne has another project called Future Farms. So I'm going to have to ask her to come back on another time where we can talk about Future Farms because that sounds very exciting to me. Um, Please share this episode with all of your friends. It's uh, a great way to get them thinking long term as well. As always, we like to finish with a nature poem. Anne has given me a gorgeous poem to read out today Uh, but if you would like to send in your nature poem please do to www.theecoenthusiastpodcast.com I'm also going to do a bit of a plug for my book today I as I said in the podcast I wrote a book I've mentioned in a couple of podcasts that I wrote this book uh, called birth at the end of the earth my journey from eco-anxiety to eco-action it's now available in paperback I'm really proud of this book and one of the reasons I'm so proud of this project is it was a community project. I wrote this book, I put it on Kindle, um, some mothers read it, they made a book club out of it. I got uh, one mother offered to edit it for free. I said I haven't had a professional edit of this book. She edited it for free. Another mother um, created the cover which is gorgeous Another mother has put it into a bookstore. So it's just been a huge community effort and I couldn't be more happy with how it came to be in the world. So please, um, it's in the show notes, go and have a look at that. As I said, this was not just me getting this. It's my memoir, but it's um, a lot of mothers related to it and it was written out for myself, but also for other mothers and fathers. So please check that out. That's pretty much it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this nature poem and we'll see you next time on The Eco Enthusiast. This is by poet Ida Sodogran, who was alive between 1892 to 1923. And it's called Triumph of Being. 
What have I to fear? I am a part of infinity. I am a part of the all's great power. A lonely world inside millions of worlds. Like a star of the first degree that fades last. Triumph of living. Triumph of breathing. Triumph of being. Triumph of feeling time run ice cold through one's veins and of hearing the silent river of the night and of standing on the mountain under the sun. I walk on sun. I stand on sun. I know of nothing else than sun. Time convertress. Time destructress. Time enchantress. Do you come with new schemes, a thousand tricks to offer me existence as a little seed, as a coiled snake, as a coiled snake, as a rock amidst the sea? Time, you murderous, leave me. The sun fills my breast with sweet honey up to the brim. And she says, all stars fade at last but they always shine without fear.